Hey guys, Steve here. You are listening to one of our original 26 episodes. If you've listened to any of our new episodes, you're going to notice that we're sounding a little different in these ones. Yeah, there's a reason for that. There is. They've been remastered. They have been remastered. Because they had a really annoying hum. Yeah, I mean, a huge thanks to uh, listener James for doing almost all of the legwork on this yes. thing. Yeah. You'll also notice if you had listened to what we're calling the Lost 26 episodes before, and you're re-listening now, the music and sound effects are gone. Yes, yeah. we've, we've gone back to straight audio. So, be warned, we sound a little different today than we do in what you're about to listen to. Yeah. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay, bye. Hi there. Thanks for joining the show again. This is Thinking Sideways, the podcast, and I am Steve. As always, I'm joined by Joe. Hello. And Devin. Hi. And we have decided to give you a little bit of a holiday extra since it is Halloween. We're going to pull around the campfire. We're going to tell a creepy story. Mm. Yeah, right pretty on. excited. We don't usually do this. No, no, this one's a little, little out of our ballpark, but that's okay. So mm-hmm. well, let's, let's. Well, actually, before we get into the show, uh, I do want to say something for our listeners. Uh, this story, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to go into has some pretty graphic details in it, and it's got a lot of violence in it. So mm. if you're not into that thing, or you're going to be listening to the show, and there's some, some kids around or younger folk, you might want to just skip this show because it's probably not the style that you want to go into. Okay, well, tonight we are going to talk about uh, what is referred to as the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Mm. Texarkana. Yes. Isn't yeah. that, uh, didn't they base a movie on that? The town they that did. The, sundown the town that lives in fear, I think uh, it's called. I thought it was or... a town that dreaded sundown. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Have you seen that? No, I haven't actually. Have I you? haven't either. I've just, I've been through Texarkana on a train. I can tell you that when you stop at what seems to be the train station and then go, the building seems to transition into a jail. So I don't know if that's real or not, but in my mind, Texarkana is the place where the train station is the same building as the jail. <laughs> Could be. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, so here's the story. Um, in the spring of 1946, there were a series of fairly grisly murders were, were committed, most about three to four weeks apart, and eventually put the whole town of Texarkana into a tremendous state of terror with people buying guns and nailing their windows shut and buying buying Doberman pinchers to guard the house. The Slayer was never caught. He was eventually nicknamed the Phantom Killer. Alternatively, he was called the Phantom Slayer. It's unknown why he killed these people, and um, it's unknown if he committed other murders besides this or what. It's all just a big mystery. Because they never caught the killer. Yeah. That's, that's the scary part. Mm-hmm. One of the scary parts. Oh, one mm-hmm. of the many scary parts. Of this very scary story. Although yeah. it's possible, you know, in, in, sometimes in, in series of crimes like this, uh, the killer does get caught, but for another crime, it might very well be that this guy went away for something else, and that's why the, the murders stopped. That's a possibility, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah we totally are. Yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about uh, the attacks. Yeah. The first attack took place on February 22nd, around midnight, 
1946. The first victims were Jimmy Hollis, who was 24, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Larry. Now, what do you do when you're in a small town and you want to get away? They were parked out on Lover's Lane. They were going to have a secluded evening together. They'd been there about 10 minutes when suddenly somebody knocked on the window. Jimmy looked up and he thought it was going to be a cop, but instead he saw a guy wearing a white hood pointing a gun at his face. And he said, fella, you got me mixed up with someone else. You've got the wrong man. I got to say... I gotta say that's that's pretty cool demeanor on his part. If I see somebody like you know with a gun and a white hood, I'm, I wouldn't be saying, "Oh, you got me mixed up with somebody else." I'd be handing my wallet or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, that's the uh, first thing you would think. Mm. Uh, but this uh, this the suspect had what we now are pretty sure is a 32 caliber handgun pointing at him, and he said, "I don't want to kill you, fellows. So do what I say." He then proceeded to order them both to get out of the car. And the quote, which was taken from the police report, says, take off your bleeping britches, at which point his girlfriend, Mary Jean, said, basically, please do what he says. Just do what he says. So he goes, he goes ahead and he takes off his pants, but while he's bent over taking off his pants, he gets clubbed in the head. He gets hit so hard, the noise is so loud, that his girlfriend Mary thinks that he's actually been shot. So he got hit with that much force. Yeah, and it turned out it turned out that it was actually a skull cracking. Yes, it was, it was his skull, skull cracking. cracking. He yeah. got hit. That's that's really hard. That's mm-hmm. super Apparently hard. Apparently his skull was cracked in three places. Yeah, yeah. which ah, not not something I'd want to have happen. No. So what happens here is our our assailant then of course pulls his wallet out, Jimmy's wallet out, and goes through it and discovers he doesn't have any money and gets a little upset and starts talking to Mary and is upset about it. She says, no, I'm sorry, he has no money. At which point he's sure that she has a purse and she says, well, no, I don't have a purse. And he doesn't believe her. He thinks that she's lying to him. He gets so angry He hits her and knocks her to the ground. As she's on the ground, she starts to get up, and he says something along the lines of, run. She starts to run away from him towards the ditch that's on the side of the road, and he tells her, no, don't run that way, run down the road. So, of course, she turns around, she starts running down the road. He runs and catches up with her and knocks her down again, and he says, why are you running? She (laughs) says the logical thing. Because you told me to. Yeah. At which point he uh, starts telling her that uh, he he starts saying she's a liar and that he's going to kill her. And he knocks her down again. And this is where the gory parts start happening because he sexually assaults her. Uh. Mm Mm-hmm. With his gun. Uh, Not a lot of details are there as to exactly what happened, and I don't think any of us want to know exactly no. what happened, but he used the gun. That sounds kind of unsafe. It, it uh, does, yeah. and there's, there's multiple puns there, but we're not yeah. going to go there today. After he had finished that, he started to go back towards Jimmy, if I understand correctly, uh, at which point she stood up and she ran away again. This time she was able to get to a house and... 
and knock on the door and get the the people who were home to wake up, tell them what was happening, and call the police. Now, didn't the um, police not believe her at first that yeah that they, she didn't know who it was that did it? Yes, she, the police in her statements that she's given year had given years after the fact said she didn't understand why the police were continually telling her no. You know the assailant. You know who it was. Which, let's be honest, nothing like this has happened in the town. And they're pretty sure it's probably somebody that they know. It's probably a rendezvous gone bad. And she's trying to protect them. That's what I would presume yeah. the cops are thinking. Like, they have yeah. no, obviously no idea what's going to come down mm-hmm. the line. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, though. Because if, if she wants to protect him, then she wouldn't go to the cops to begin with. You well, know? You're right. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. But people do things in the heat of the moment. She might have changed her mind. But regardless, the cops show up and they find Jimmy and he's obviously not doing so well and they take him to the hospital, but they both survive the attack and they're able to give uh, accounts of it to the police Mm -hmm. and they are able to give what end up being very different accounts in terms of what their attacker looked like. Because if you remember, I said he had a sack over his head. So he had eye holes cut out and a mouth hole cut out, and that was it. And I believe, here it is. So Jimmy believed that it was, quote-unquote, a dark-tanned white man, whereas Mary believed it was a light-skinned quote-unquote, Negro, because of the way he pronounced the curse words, he growled. But we don't know which it was, because mm. yeah. they never agreed on what it was, and so it, it didn't help the case at all. Did they agree on anything else about his physical appearance? Uh, they both said that he was approximately six foot tall, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where it ends. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, and that's the hard part is with the records. It's a little difficult because original records are hard to get a hold of anymore. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's the best we've got out of their descriptions, essentially, or the simplest version yeah. of it, I should say. So the next attack happened uh, about four weeks later on March 24th, um, and Richard Griffin, he was 29, and his girlfriend of six weeks, Polly Ann Moore, who was 17, were found dead in Richard's car between like 8.30 or 9 um, in the morning by a driver that was passing by. And the driver stated that he originally thought that they were asleep in the car, but as soon as he walked up to it, realized, oh no, they're not asleep, they're dead. So he called the police and they came out. Richard was found in between the seats on his knees with his head resting on his hands, um, and his pocket, pockets had been turned out, so mm-hmm. it looked like he'd been robbed or Yeah, something. it does look like a robbery that it way. It looks like a robbery. And Polly was found sprawled face down in the back seat. Uh, Griffin had been shot twice, and Polly had been shot once. Both of them had been shot in the back of the head. Polly's purse was next to her in the back seat, however, so maybe it wasn't actually a robbery. Yeah, that... That's a little strange. One of the things they found was a section of ground about 20 feet from the car that was saturated in dry blood. Blood was spattered throughout the vehicle, and um, this is gross. Congealed blood was found flowing through the bottom of the door off of the dashboard. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. blood. Yeah. Um, There was a blanket also found in the car, and it had uh, 32 cartridge shells that were believed to be shot from the same kind of gun used in the first crime. Mm-hmm. They were inside of the blanket. There was no gun ever found, so it couldn't be ruled a murder-suicide. And the theory was that the assailant had wrapped the gun in the blanket and shot it as oh. like a sort of muffler. Because yeah, the, the cartridges were found inside of the blanket. So, And it had rained overnight. 
So they couldn't find any kind of footprints or anything like that. Additionally, I think, you know, in my mind, if you think of a woman sprawled face down in the backseat of a car and it's traced to the crime that had happened previously, I think there was probably some kind of sexual assault play mm-hmm. that had happened, except her body was taken and they had the examiners examine it, not for rape, but like cut her open and do that kind of autopsy. autopsy. Yeah. Um, before they could ever do any kind of rape anything. So we don't actually know if she was sexually assaulted or not. Because mm, then they like screw up and cart her body away to the mortuary and yep. she was embalmed and all that yep. stuff. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. the second murder. Uh, on to the third one. So Attack. Yeah. So three weeks go by and nobody gets killed. Everybody's starting to think, hey, everything's all right. And then guess what? Two more people get killed. So this happened. The victims were Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. On Saturday night, April 13, Betty Jo Booker, uh, did I say she was 15? Yeah. So she was playing her saxophone in a band that she played with in a bar. And even she, she got away with it because, you know, her parents wrote her a note or something like that. But, but she played with this band on a regular basis. And they finished up about 1.30 a.m. And her friend Paul Martin, who was 16, childhood friend, was to pick her up and take her home. It's, so at some point after 1.30 a.m. and before 6.30 a.m., uh, when Paul's body was found, they were killed by apparently a 32 automatic. His body was found about 6.30 a.m. It was lying on its left side on the side of North Park Road. Blood was found a little bit further down on the other side of the road by a fence. He'd been shot four times, once through the nose, once to the ribs, one in the right hand, and a fourth through the back of the neck, and it exited the front of his head. That is a lot of shots. It's a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of, a lot of spray in there. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. I mean, well, and once yeah. through the hand almost seems as if it's a defensive wound. Yeah. Somebody points yeah. a gun and you try to move and you've got your hands up, mm-hmm. you're likely to get shot in the hand. So that to me would almost explain that he was in some prone position, but trying to, to get away when shot mm-hmm. through the nose to the left. of Yeah. The nasal arch. Ugh. Yeah. Well, three of the, three of these wounds, I mean, they don't, they don't even though they're in this particular order, that doesn't mean that the wounds actually occurred yeah. in this order. Yeah, so that's very three true. Of, three of them were in the back. And so, well, the right hand they don't say, but uh, three. And so two and probably three were in the back, which you know, may, may indicate that he was running away. And Quite so possibly, that's, why, yeah. that's why that explains the low accuracy of the shots. And then probably the coup de grace, the one through the face, was, was the last one. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Pure, seems like that's a good pure speculation. So anyway, that's what's going on with his body. Her body was uh, nowhere to be found, so search parties were organized, and it was found uh, about 11:30 a.m. that day, about two miles away. It was lying on his back, fully clothed, with a button overcoat. Uh, she'd been shot twice: once in the ribs and once in the face. The weapon is apparently the same, a thirty-two automatic. Uh, some people say that they believe it was a thirty-two automatic Colt pistol, and there's, it's possible that you can identify from the markings on the cartridge, you know, what kind of a gun it actually is. So, or it might be somebody just sort of put that little tidbit in there. Right. But yeah, thirty-two back in those days, thirty-two was actually a pretty popular round. It's not that popular these days. It's considered kind of marginal. Still, obviously, pretty good at killing people. Unfortunately, yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh-huh. 
following day's newspaper had reports about it. They claimed the bodies were not abused. So later rumors uh, claimed that Betty had been raped. Well, so that's yeah. that's one of the things, right, is it's 1940s. And they're not big on reporting sexual assault. No, you don't talk about those so you things. You just don't talk this, about it. This is one of those things that we yeah. just yeah. push under the carpet. Even and post-mortem, yeah. we don't. Yeah. 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 We, we don't discuss that. That didn't happen. And yeah. Now, Joe, uh, she was in the, the band, and if I remember right in, in reading, she she had her, uh, was it a saxophone that she had? Yeah, she played the saxophone, and uh, when they found her, they did not find her saxophone, and it, it was thought perhaps it had been taken by the attacker. Somebody, the band leader, did report that she had had her sax military when she left. Mm-hmm. And since it was nowhere to be found, it wasn't found in Paul's car. His car was, by, by the way, found a few miles away, and the saxophone was not there. And so that was considered to be a possible clue. They thought, well, if we find the guy with the saxophone, well, obviously he's our killer and we'll give him the chair. Okay. Uh, yeah, the saxophone was found about six months later. It was found in bushes pretty close to where her body had been found. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so. It, it was not actually taken. It was probably just tossed. Yeah. It's 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 kind of unfortunate, really, that, that they didn't find it that at that time because yeah, the police actually wasted quite a bit of resources trying to find that sax and whoever had that sax. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, unfortunately, we've got another murder that we're going to talk about in the same series. And Lord. Yeah, I know. This one happened on Friday, May 3rd, sometime before 9 o'clock in the evening. Uh, there was a local farmer and welder named Virgil Sa- or Starks. Virgil Starks. Come home. He had a long day. His back was sore. So he had his wife, you know, give him a heating pad. And he sat down in a chair to listen to the radio and, and go through the newspaper and relax. And his wife went and laid down in the bedroom at which point when this is again we don't have the exact times but somewhere before nine o'clock someone came up to the kitchen window and shot him through the window twice in the back of the head mm-hmm. his wife reported not hearing the shots but actually hearing the sound of breaking glass at which point she thought her husband had broken something she came out to see what the noise was at which point she saw that her husband was dead and she instantly turned around and went to run for the phone. Uh, you've got to remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is the 1940s, and telephones then weren't like they are today. They uh, they had a wall crank phone. Yeah, it was probably a party line, too. Mm-hmm. It probably yeah. was. Yeah. So she ran to the phone, and she reported that she got two cranks on the phone. And how these phones work, correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, is that it takes multiple cranks to get the operator to come through. Is that? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. But, I like yeah. that you asked Joe. Yeah, uh, I'm a mean guy. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but she she got two cranks on the the phone to try to get someone to come on the line. The operator, the the assailant who was still outside the window, shot her twice. And this woman is tough. Yeah. Because to survive what we're going to go through, you've got to be a really tough bird. Mm-hmm. Um, shot in the face. Twice, she was yeah. shot from behind twice. One bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left ear. And the other went in her lower jaw below her lip and splintered her teeth and her jaw before it lodged in just below her tongue. That 
is not a nice way to be shot. It sounds pl- unpleasant, yeah. <clears throat> she she fell, obviously fell down, but she managed to get back up, and she ran to get her, a, a pistol from the living room. Uh, but she's bleeding so profusely, she's blinded by the amount of blood that's coming out. Oh, God. Um, she, she heard the killer tearing loose the, the screen on her back porch, and, uh, you know, obviously enough, she figures she's going to get killed. So she starts to run towards the front of the house to try to leave a note, which... A, you know, I, I read that account, and I was, I was a little puzzled by that, because if you could see well enough to write a note, you can see well enough to find the yeah, guy and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't understand that, <laughs> yeah, but then again, a, in that state of mind, who knows? Yeah, I mean, who knows, exactly. Um, <laughs> at this point, the killer runs around to the back of the house, makes his way up the, the porch steps, and uh, into the side screen porch and their back screen, and is trying to come through a window. She can hear him trying to come to basically tearing through the screen metal screen window trying to get in mrs starks turns around she she runs through the house down a a hallway out of bedroom and makes her way out the door on the opposite side of the house basically runs across the street and eventually is able to go to a house and get family. I believe it's her her brother and sister-in-law who lived across the street. They lived across the street, but they weren't home. Oh, you're right. They weren't home. And so then she had to go down to the next house down. Which is like 50 yards away, and she's barefoot in her nightgown. And bleeding profusely. And bleeding profusely. What's the term they used? Leaving a literal trail river of river blood, blood. Yeah. And, yeah. and teeth. And teeth. And yeah. She gets to these people's house. They open the door. She says, Virgil's dead, and she collapses. Yeah. Uh, she eventually came to as they were taking her to the hospital. Uh, one side note, this uh, I said this lady was tough. Yeah. This lady was super tough because as they were taking her to the hospital, because somebody just drove her to the hospital, <sighs> and her, like we said, teeth are falling out, she pulled out one of her teeth that had a gold fill and gave to the man driving the car as payment to take <laughs> yeah, her to I the know. hospital. <laughs> I know, I know, that's pretty cool. Oh, Hats off to her. God. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, just, just for, our, uh, for our viewers' uh, knowledge, she eventually recovered from her wounds and wound up remarrying and uh, living to be a pretty ripe old age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, she, she was lucky. She survived. The investigators, as... Devin had said, came to the house and they found a a trail of blood and scattered teeth throughout the house. The lead investigator on this case uh, at the second murder and now through this whole time is a Texas ranger uh, by the name of Gonzalez. And Gonzalez walked through the house and he said, it's beyond me why she didn't bleed to death. Mm. So that's a lot of blood when a cop says, how did you not bleed to death? Yeah. Yeah, by the way, just as an aside, by the way, uh, by this by this point in time, the town was flooded with state police, Texas Rangers, county county cops, you know, I mean, Every all the FBI, I mean, yeah, yeah, law enforcement was thick in this town. How the, how this guy, and that might explain why he stopped committing the murders. Maybe he figures there's so too many, much, too so hot. many cops every other car on the road is a cop car. So yeah, <laughs> maybe exactly. that's why he quit and moved on. Uh, well, here's, here's what we do know is that uh, when they checked out the house, there were only two bullet holes in the window where Virgil was shot from. Uh-huh. So they're pretty sure that A, it was an automatic weapon, and B, after shooting Virgil, the assailant had to wait, had to have waited there for 
his wife to come see what was going on before shooting her. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cl- cold blooded right there. That's kind of brutal, if you mm-hmm. ask me. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's this, really it's precalculated too, right? Because he knows then, because you would assume that she would have been out of the room for a little while. Yeah, it's not like he just walked by and I was like, "Oh, there's a dude I could kill." Like, yeah. He yeah. knew there were two people in yeah. the house. He yeah. seemed to. He obviously had a preference for assaulting two people at a time. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a little weird. But here's here's some clues. So we finally get some pretty what seem like pretty decent clues at this murder. First off is that the caliber of bullets had changed. Mm-hmm. Originally it was a 32. These murders were committed with a 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were actually, though they believe it came out of an automatic handgun, they were deer rifle 22 rounds, which was a little strange. Yeah, I, I would I would suspect that they were fired from a rifle because she reported not hearing any gunshots. Yes. And 22s make a loud crack coming out of a short barrel, but out of a rifle barrel, 22s are really quiet. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it probably was a rifle. Yeah, well, yeah. And we don't know. Um, underneath the window, though, uh, they did find a flashlight that had been dropped. And in the mud underneath the window and in the blood that was trailed through the house, they found footprints, partial prints, of a shoe that was somewhere between a size 9.5 and 10.5. And Dude, if that guy was, if it was the guy that they were, the first attack was describing, he was six foot tall with a like a nine and a half foot. That's uh, yeah, That'd that's pretty pretty short. Strange foot, proportions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were evidently some fingerprints in the house, but mm-hmm. they could never get a good fingerprint, so they could never use anything to match. They were always smudged and unusable. Yeah. Well, no. The only other thing that I've got here is that. Early Saturday morning, the you know the police did bring in bloodhounds, and the bloodhounds did track two different trails from the house, but they both led to the freeway and or the highway, I should say, the local highway, and then the scent was gone. So, so obviously, a car. A car was parked there. Yeah, and whoever it was got in their car and drove away, and yeah. that That's was weird. the end of it. I wonder what the other trail was. No, it was two and from, from, right? I'm guessing it's two trails, one, two, one, and two um, the house. I suppose from. that's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's all there is, and that's all the clues that we've got in yeah. terms of physical evidence. Yeah, and that and that was pretty much it for murders around there for a while, but uh, yeah. So I hard hard to say what happened if the guy just decided to move on and you know quit while the quit while the go was good or maybe he got you know, picked up and thrown in jail and that's why they stopped. Yeah, or, and and there you know. there was a lot of suspects and a lot of weird stuff. But we we I think we need to step back because we've just talked about three or six brutal or five brutal murders. It's five people who died. Five, five murders. Four five, brutal attacks. Six. Four brutal say. attacks. Four brutal attacks. Five five murders. Yeah. Eight six victims. Victim. Five of whom died. Eight, eight yeah. victims. So this. Yeah. It's a word problem, ladies and gentlemen, but a lot of people died, and if you can imagine living in a town where for two and a half months this is happening, you can imagine that there's some panic. Apparently, it's not, uh, this is actually not even apparently, gun sales were up tremendously. The investigation kind of like launched pretty immediately, after, especially after that first attack. Well, the first murder, I guess not the first attack, but the right. first murder, you know, a lot of parents were saying... You know, to their kids, don't be out late, all of that. But after the second double murder, 
the the whole city basically shut down. They were enforcing curfews on businesses. There was just like this hysteria that snowballed out of out of control, especially after this last the Starks attack. Right. This is one of the things I thought was a little a little funny. It was like the the, the day. So the, apparently the day after Virgil Starks was murdered, residents started buying firearms and locks, and stores were soon sold out of, of guns and ammunition and locks. And I'm like. Really? Why do you wait until? Why do you wait this long to start go out and buy a gun? I mean, <laughs> after maybe the second murder, I think I'm going to go buy myself a little 38 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's things like you know, Texarkana is pretty small, uh, and it was pretty usual for people to leave all of their windows open at night or their doors unlocked or anything like that, and that you know immediately stopped as soon as the second murder happened. You know. People were just locking their doors. People were setting up traps. Is that right? Yeah. You know, for- yeah. Well, people were setting off homemade alarm or setting up homemade alarm systems, yeah. and, uh-huh. and the, the, the people were so were so on edge that the cops, if they came up to someone's house, they had to have the the flashing lights on. Their sirens too. Yeah, right? their sirens on. Yeah, exactly. So that yeah. they so could they didn't get shot. So they didn't get <laughs> yeah. shot by someone who was panicked. Yeah. Uh, there's there's actually a story of a uh, a bar owner who shot one of his own patrons who was in the bar looking for beer. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what he was doing in there looking for beer. I'm guessing it wasn't exactly during operating hours yeah. or he had closed early, but he shot one of his patrons because he was just so freaked out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, things like want ads for guard dogs were popping up everywhere. You know, pe- other people were selling their guard dogs. I don't know why you would sell your guard dog, I guess, because you could probably get like a lot of money for yeah, that point, and right? plus, you, plus you probably if you have a guard dog you probably own a lot of guns so or right. you have like a couple of them right mm-hmm. you know but it was you know things like uh, there are stories of one woman set up a table leaning against the door with a pot full of nails that would spill over into tin trays if the door was opened one woman um, actually attacked her husband because he came in late um, and she thought he was the phantom murderer um, lots of people were checking into hotels husbands if they had to go out of town would check their whole families and hotels for just like ever people were leaving their all of their lights on during the day because they were scared of the shadows during mm. the day well i mean this is not this is not the kind of thing that people are used to dealing with in this that day and age i mean yeah. we're talking the mid 40s this is not what happened yeah. yeah i mean these days serial killings it's just a routine thing yeah yeah definitely a little out of the ordinary for these folks uh, but uh, high schoolers still went out and parked on uh, lonely little lovers' lanes and stuff. Although usually they armed themselves this time, you know they weren't that stupid. <laughs> oh, but, so they were kind of doing like a teen sleuth thing. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, the yeah. early Scooby Doo. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So one night, one in fact, one night, a couple of uh, a, a state trooper and a county manny were out patrolling a road, and they came to a parked car, and the uh, the sheriff got the sheriff's deputy got out and approached the car. And then identified himself and says, aren't you scared to be parked out here at night? And the girl says, you're the one I'd be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who you are. And then see, it turns out she's got a 25 caliber pistol pointed at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, if I, I'm going to go out and park in Lover's Lane. I'm going to be well-armed for something like that. I yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so, um, and, and there was another incident where um, a high schooler named C.J. Lauderdale was following a city bus 
because he had seen somebody park his car and then get on this bus. He thought that was suspicious. So well, so he started. Fair. That's that's a little suspicious. So he's following the bus, and then for some reason, I don't know why that attracted the attention of the uh, the attention of the Texarkana Police Department. But they started chasing him, and they chased him for like three miles. Uh, before they finally caught up, and then he explained that you know they were in an unmarked police car, and so he wasn't about to pull over for them oh, because he, he thought that yeah it was it was just oh. yeah people were paranoid all the way around, uh, and so at that at that point uh, the local police chief uh, started warning teenage what he called, called teenage sluice mm-hmm. uh, to say to to tell them not to try to take their law into the law in their own hands and not to try to solve these murders themselves. Which is funny because the same guy, Gonzalez, our like police hero, exactly. Right? He um, <laughs> actually started recruiting teenagers. Some of them were like sons and daughters of his own rangers, Texas mm. well, rangers. Well, this is like typical government employees. It's a good idea when it's our idea. You know? Yeah. But, uh, well, he started recruiting them to be decoys, like not even to like chase after suspicious people, but to just park their cars and like pretend to be making out in the car, hoping that the phantom would just like walk by or appear. I don't really know what they well, thought was going to happen who who were these decoys mostly teenagers and then some of them they ended up they they started to use teenagers at first and then they said well actually this is kind of a bad idea so they started using their own texas rangers who would sit in the car either with each other or sometimes with a mannequin yeah i guess i guess they they tried each other at first but then you know the making out thing got a little uncomfortable politics a little weird yeah Yeah, i'd rather make out with a mannequin like in a behind a bush like super sneaky like and wait for the phantom murderer to come along and obviously he never did because uh, clearly smarter than that i think you know if you learn anything already he's clearly smarter than that yeah gonzalez our you know hero texas ranger he and his officers he said were dealing with and i quote a shrewd criminal who had left no stone unturned to conceal his identity and activities i just like that i feel like that comes from like this dude didn't fall for our trick yeah well obviously the guy is is Uh. wise to well maybe i should check out what i'm dealing with since i've caused so much heat is basically what it comes down to but of course you know they're trying to set up a profile of this guy. They're trying to figure it out. And this is where uh, the 1940s logic gets a little weird to me. Yeah. Because they say, uh, and again, this is Gonzalez. He says uh, the, that the murderer was a cunning individual who would go to all legs to avoid apprehension, but was uh, also dealing with or uh, suffering from sex mania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, here's another quote. I believe that a sex pervert is responsible. Uh-huh. Well, it seems likely. Well, okay, yeah, well, yeah. There's, right. There is a sexual aspect, and that's a little weird, but it's just a, a, a sex mania is a w- weird way to put it. You know, I, I don't know of a lot of murders that we hear about today where it's a person kills one and then has uh, rapes another and then kills that person and progressively does that. That sounds like some other compulsion, some other weird mental state to be in. Then again, yeah. this is the 1940s. They don't have all of the, the forensics that we have now. In well, the no, it just, it just means, I mean, they call it now, they call it a sexually violent predator. Yeah, and now, oh, it's, right. and, and also, you know, there's no... There's, you know, we don't really have any evidence to prove that that besides the person who was uh, Mary Jean, 
who was violated with the pistol in the first incident, there's not uh, there's not really much evidence that the other two were raped. They might uh, have been. Well, and, no, and there was because it wasn't. Uh, let's see. Who it was, was the third. It was the, the third girl. With the, girl. Saxophone, yeah. uh, the saxophone she, girl. Yes, uh, there was evidence of sexual uh, assault on her. They just oh, didn't really? report it immediately because uh, of yeah, they they held on to it. They just didn't put it out mm-hmm. basically. And again, it's one of those things in the forties. You pl- protect the family's honor. You just don't put in the newspaper. And she. Was was raped. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's just not what you do. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, okay, so we've gone into the investigation and we've gone into some of the stuff that's going on. And, and the, let's go ahead and let's talk about who they were trying to, to get to pin the murders on because the police obviously want to catch somebody. And they went through about 400 suspects. They like they arrested four hundred people. They investigated four hundred suspects, which I mean, which I Holy presume moly. to believe means brought in for questioning as suspects. In the Jimmy Hollis and Mary Leary case, uh, no suspects were apprehended. I think probably because the police didn't necessarily believe that. Yeah, I get the impression they weren't taking it seriously they at were. that point. Yeah, I yeah. you know they they had been assaulted, but they weren't dead. They'd so been assaulted. His his skull was cracked in yeah. three. Places, yeah, something you know, yeah. they, who knows? So, but for Richard Griffin and Polly Moore, um, over 200 people were questioned, uh, and at least 200 false tips and leads were checked. So, like, it was a pretty extensive investigation that they did. People were basically calling in anything they saw that they thought could yeah. be related. Yeah, because, you know, it was, they were clearly linked to this assault that had happened before, and so people were starting to take it kind of seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, three suspects were taken into custody because they had bloody clothing. Um, two of them were released after officers received good alibis. One of them was held in Texas for further investigation, but was later freed from suspicion. Okay, so in the Martin and Booker case, you remember that was the one involving the saxophone, Mm -hmm. 16 and 15 years old. Uh, There was a taxi driver who was a suspect because his cab was seen in the vicinity of the crime scene. Uh, Obviously, that led nowhere. They uh, received a lead from the band leader uh, of the band that she was in that she had had her saxophone with her, and so that that excited a lot of interest with the police, the saxophone. Again, it's too bad they didn't search the woods around the body a little more carefully and find the saxophone. They wouldn't have wasted so much time. Right. So a uh, guy was arrested in Corpus Christi, Texas, for trying to sell a saxophone in a music store. Uh, he walked in uh, without an instrument and asked a salesperson if they wanted to buy an Alto Bundy saxophone. Anyway. Uh, well, he didn't, yeah. he didn't. And what was weird is he didn't have it he with He didn't have it. He, yeah. just, he just came and says, oh, you know, theoretically, would you like to buy a saxophone? And uh, the, the clerk claimed that the man seemed nervous. Uh, the man left when the manager was summoned. They contacted the police, and he was arrested two days later at a waterfront hotel after purchasing a forty-five revolver from a pawn shop. That's that's not suspicious, but no, it's not really. I mean, obviously, the, the real killer, if he was going to purchase something from a pawn shop, it would be a thirty-two automatic. Of course. Of yeah. course, yeah. So she wa- he was identified by the sales girls, the same man who tried to sell the saxophone. They didn't find any saxophone in his possession, although in his hotel room they found a bag of bloody clothing. Uh, he claimed that the blood was from a cut he'd received in his forehead in a bar fight. Uh, they grilled him for several days, 
And apparently everything he uh, everything he told them was checked out and it was all true. So the police, uh, in the end, decided that they really couldn't hold the guy. They really they had no case. I mean, trying to offering to sell somebody a saxophone is, you know, and and as it turns out in the end, since we know the saxophone was later found in the shrubbery near her body, you know, yeah, obviously it was, it was a bit of a red hair. This guy might have been a bit a bit of a questionable character, but obviously he had nothing to do with the murder. Right, and and you know, in the uh, the murder of Virgil Starks and the the attack on his wife, several people were found uh, in the vicinity of their home, and they were all stopped and questioned. Uh, Twelve people were detained. Nine of them were basically immediately released. And then the same thing, the remaining three, their alibis checked out and they were released as well. They had some people that were obviously more persons of interest than others. You know, a lot of people washed out in the beginning of their, you know, their alibi checked out very clearly. They didn't seem to actually you know, fit any kind of profile, but there were some really interesting ones, uh, one of which was a German prisoner of war suspect. So on May 8th, it was announced that an escaped German prisoner of war was considered a suspect, um, and he was hunted as a matter of routine. He was described as a 24-year-old weighing 187 pounds with brown hair and blue eyes. Uh, he stole a car and then attempted to buy ammunition in lots of places in Oklahoma. So the night before his apprehension on uh, May 7th, a black man named Herbert Thomas was flagged down by a hitchhiker. The man said that he needed a ride um, because his mother was seriously ill and offered $5. Thomas fell for the sob story, basically. You know, he said, I wouldn't normally pick someone up, but he told a really sad story. When they got close to the place that the hitchhiker said he was going, the hitchhiker pulled out a pistol and told Thomas to keep driving or he would kill him like the five people he killed in Texarkana, mentioning uh, Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker by name, which would have been suspicious except for, you know, there's such a snowball fear it's everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's almost an easy story to use. Super easy, yeah. He made Thomas stop in a, a small town and told him to dr drive back. And then if he followed him, he would trail him and kill him. He also told Thomas that he had planned to go back to Texarkana to kill Martin's father, which is a little weird. Right? Um, yeah. It's a little weird. Because his father was already dead, which was even weirder. Yeah. So the man stole the five, stole back the $5 that he had given to Thomas, as well as an additional $3 in that time. Some substantial Yeah, it's, that's decent money in, yeah. in the you 1940s. Know, a couple hundred, not even a couple hundred it's bucks. It's 20, you know, 30 bucks. Yeah, but that's, you know, a good amount. Yeah. Um, he, so Thomas drove back to Kilgore, the place that he was originally going, and immediately reported it. He was described as being about 5'8", 130 pounds, and about 27 to 28 years old, with red hair and wore khaki trousers. On the same night, May 7th, a local resident named Robert Atkinson spotted a peeping Tom in his window. Uh, Atkinson grabbed a flashlight and pursued, but the man escaped. Um, Atkinson got in his car and went looking for him. He caught the man he believed to be the peeping Tom and put him under citizen's arrest, but the man said, no, that wasn't me. So Atkins said, okay, I guess that wasn't you, and let him go. Uh, he later heard about the story with Thomas and decided that he should probably tell the police um, and described a man very, very similar to uh, what Thomas had described his hitchhiker looked like. And Gonzalez stated that, quote, we don't believe the man who killed five people here in the past six weeks would boast about his crimes and then let the Negro go. It's not totally sure if he was the prisoner of war. 
if what what necessarily happened is it the same guy is it the same guy circumstantial really circumstantial and they're saying that he kind of vanished into thin air yeah well plus you know and you know talk is cheap you know anybody can who reads the papers can say hey you know i I killed all the people in texarkana yeah it would have an intimidating effect yeah well there was another suspect this obviously again didn't go anywhere this guy was uh in, in well okay may 10th uh, Toka, Oklahoma. So this was not long after the last murders. Uh, a man walked up to a woman's house and opened her screen door, asked this, asked the person living there, Mrs. Harmon, if he could have some turpentine, food, and money. Now, that's a puzzler. I, I really want some turpentine and some food and some money. So she told the man that she had very little turpentine and no money or food. So then he grabbed her by the hair, dragged her out onto the porch, said he might as well kill her since he had already killed three or four persons and he was going to rape her. Then he heard a horse galloping towards them and took off. Uh, so she took her child with her to a neighbor's house and called the police, and there was a neighbor, neighborhood search to the man, which included 20 officers and about 160 civilians. Uh, she had described him as 5'9 to 5'10, white, 40, 45 years old, 150 pounds, dark hair, and badly in need of a shade carrying a five-inch folding pocket knife, wearing gloves, uh, faded blue short with khakis, and an old, dirty, dark-colored floppy hat. Uh, so they found a suspect that fit that description. He was 33 years old, didn't quite match in all respects. He was also clean-shaven. They decided to keep him in the jail for about three weeks and so his beard would grow back, and then she could look at him again and decided if he fit the description. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, But, yeah, it turns out that they, they checked out his story, and, uh, you know, again, talk is cheap. So it does not appear. This, this, so this lead against didn't, didn't really pan out. It's kind of, you know, thinking about the, the amount of police man hours that went into investigating this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots. They, and yeah. lots of investigative time spent by multiple bureaus. Uh -huh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's another suspect. There are a lot of suspects. There's a lot of suspects. A lot. Um, and this guy came forward on May 23rd. Um, he's 21 years old. He was an ex-Army Force B-24 machine gunner. His name was Ralph Bauman, and he was in Los Angeles. He turned himself in to the police, and he said he might be the Phantom. He said uh, he's been in a coma, running from something, maybe murder. He wanted to clear it up, um, and he said if he didn't kill five people in Texarkana, he wants to settle down and be a stuntman in, in Hollywood because he was the happiest when he was living in danger. And then he told a reporter... Quote, I want to sell you some murder information. I know who and where the Texarkana killer is. Give me $5 and let me have an hour's start, and I'll put the information in a sealed envelope. The reporter <laughs> called the police, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he read the note, and it said, On a certain day in March, I was in our te a Texarkana theater watching a PATH movie. Watching a news picture of the war. News picture of the war, thank you. And when a party of persons acted wise and said overacting it kind of got to me i followed them home i killed them within a period of three days so yeah that's a little that's yeah. a little i i'm finding it hard down. to believe the reporter actually gave him five bucks yeah so the police arrested this man who was a redhead so just he's throw that matching out there. some of the matching descriptions that we got in yeah. the he was in a downtown w. shooting gallery he had just shot his 23rd bullseye in a row with a 22 rifle so again 
something. Yeah. Bauman said, is quoted to have said, um, I'm my own suspect. He said he was in a coma for several weeks. I think that he really means he was blacked out for several weeks. Yeah, that, that he just doesn't remember. He has no memory of... Not that he was in a coma, like he was incapacitated in a hospital. Right. And he said he woke up from it and he felt like he was running from something. Um, he had come to on May 3rd and his rifle was missing and he'd heard about a su- suspect matching his description, which would have been the prisoner of war suspect. Mm-hmm. He hitchhiked all the way to Los Angeles because he thought he was running for murder. He was discharged from the Air Force for being a psychoneurotic. Yeah, that's so, yeah. That uh, again, that that almost sounds like he's proclaiming something just to get attention. Yeah, and yeah, Gonzalez I mean, I, Gonzalez was quoted as saying, "I feel the man is certainly a mental case. The Texarkana killings could not have been the work of a mental case. We have absolutely this man has absolutely no facts." Yeah, well, and you know, and another one that we've got is uh, that the the police arrested a uh, a thirty something year old black man uh, based on the fact that his tire tracks were found on the opposite side of the road from Paul Martin's corpse. I feel like it's 1940s. How many different tires are there? Well, I think there actually was quite a few. Huh. But the thing is, is after the, you know, the police detained him and after he failed a polygraph test, they, because he was still denying everything. And mm-hmm. then he, of course, does the polygraph and doesn't pass it. They decide that they're going to hypnotize him. Uh, he was taken to a psychiatrist and hypnotized at which point the, uh, the hypnotist said, you've got the wrong man. And this guy has no criminal tendencies. It eventually came out that after having been arrested by the police, the reason that he had been lying about why he was doing what he was, was that he said, okay, here's what really happened. I pulled over and I needed to use the restroom. So he urinated on the side of the road and then drove away. But he was lying the whole time. And the reason he failed the polygraph is he wasn't he was trying not to disclose the fact that he was having an affair with a married woman. Oh. So he was trying to protect himself and her at the same time, and mm. that didn't go so well. Yeah. I'd still, that, that, that's a little bit of a pause order to me, because I don't know how you can hypnotize somebody against their will. It's a little... I suspect that he didn't have a problem being hypnotized so much. He, he was, knew that he knew he didn't do it. He yeah. knew he didn't do it, and he. Maybe. I think he also probably knew. You know, it's a doctor, some doctor-client privilege here that I he could have said think that that was yeah, strictly enforced. Yeah. In no, but I think you know a psychiatrist isn't going to say. Oh, yeah, he's having an affair. He's going to say, well, he didn't murder him. Mm. Right. right. Or well, he did murder them. But what I love is what, what I love about it is like, you know, the, the police were a little skeptical, too. Apparently, according to this story, and according, of course, you know, as we know from long and hard experience, stories tend to get a little bit modified. Right. Mm-hmm. But if it's true, it's pretty funny because in a sort of appalling way, because the, the psychiatrist who hypnotized him. Uh, because the police were skeptical, well, is he really under? Is he really hypnotized? So he, so he basically told the guy, uh, told the suspect that you basically had no no feeling in your left side whatsoever, and then pull, took his cigarette and and stuck it on the guy's arm and burned him. Really, and, I didn't and, read that. And he made sure. yeah, and he made and he and he didn't react at all oh. upon being burned with a cigarette. And then wow. yeah, yeah, and so that's, that's, and that's why the police were convinced that wow, you, I guess he really is hypnotized. Oh, I like wow. I like this you know the casual yeah, way the, you go ahead the, and the way the, the law worked at that time. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, let's see. There's another one. And this is obviously just BS. Some guy, some guy was a drunk. Uh, one of the local sheriffs um, 
traveled to Shreveport, Louisiana, after being notified that the police there were holding a man in custody for, for confessing to the crimes. He was arrested at a bar when he told, told a story to a news reporter. He didn't know the guy was a news reporter. The reporter promised the man a, a fifth of whiskey if he would tell all. And so he told all. He, and so the police picked him up after the reporter ratted him out. Right. And then when Tillman Johnson, the sheriff's deputy, arrived in Shreveport, uh, he recognized the guy. He was an alcoholic who from Texarkana <laughs> and who had confessed to the crime before. And he uh, called the guys out by name and says, you know you didn't kill those people. What you going to do this for? And then the guy replied, well, well, hell, I got a fifth of whiskey out of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, another another false confession. Oh. Don't worry, folks. I know you're getting impatient. You want us to solve the crime, and we will, but, but you got to go through thing, all this it, first. This thing is full of so many weird confessions. Yeah. And, and here's, okay, so the next one that we got is got weird confessions in it. That, let me okay. Let, let me just run into yeah. it. Yeah. All right. So one of the Arkansas state police officers had realized that a car had been stolen on each of the nights uh, or nights previous to the murders, and then was found abandoned after the fact. Uh, so on June 28th of 1946, this officer, uh, Max Tackett, went uh, and found a car that had been reported stolen in a parking lot, and he staked that car out. So he, he knew this car was stolen, so he, he watches it. And a 21-year-old woman walks up and starts to get in the car, and he, of course, confronts her. She says, well, uh, I, I've just been married, and my husband, who's uh is in Atlanta uh he stole the car and he's in Atlanta s- selling another car that he stole so the guy was obviously you know fencing c- hot cars all mm-hmm. the time so they go and they they try and track him down and they had found somebody that uh this guy had tried his name by the way was Yoel Swinney <laughs> and Yoel had evidently tried to sell the guy a car before, uh, at one point and the guy said, no, I don't want to buy this car for whatever reason. So the cop said, well, you would recognize him, right? Well, yeah, I would. So they went with him to the, uh, what was it, the city bus depot, I believe? Union mm-hmm. Station, yeah. The Union yeah. Station, yeah. And when they, when the, when Yoel saw the guy that he tried to sell the car to with a cop, he turned around and ran. Mm-hmm. This state police officer, you know, caught him, wouldn't let him go, obviously, got him, knocked him down, whatever it was, cuffed him. Uh, and at that point, they were going to go ahead and, uh, and haul him in. Well, the weird things that come up with him is that when they put him in the car, Yoel says, hell, I know what you want me for. You want me for more than stealing cars, which is a little weird. And he said that statement more than once. Yeah, and he said, you guys are going to give me the chair, aren't you? And then Tackett, I, I recall, said something like, well, no, we usually don't give people the chair for stealing cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except that everybody's like, wait, wait, this is a little weird. Uh, when they interviewed his wife, when they had him in custody, she knew some details about the murders that hadn't been released. She knew the details inside and out, which was a little odd, but she also knew about the fact 
fact that uh, there was a date book that had been found uh, at the murder of the the Martin and Brooker murder scene mm. that the police hadn't told anyone about. And so these things are adding up. Suddenly it's we're getting an avalanche of information. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... Yoel turns around and clams up and says, I, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. Nope, I'm not talking. I'm not doing anything. So being uh, great detectives, they decide that they're going to go ahead. And what is it? They were, they decided they were going to give him sodium. Pentothal? Pentothal, thank you, which is a true serum. It's mm. basically going to make you talk. Except unfortunately they gave him too much and it knocked him out. Oh. So he was unconscious. As they began to uh, to be build an investigation against Yule, his wife suddenly did a 180 and refused to talk to the police anymore and denied ever saying anything about the murders. And because of the law at that time, she couldn't be made to testify against her husband. And so she was considered an unreliable witness. So they, mm -hmm. they couldn't pursue him for the murders. He eventually was put in jail for about 20 years for multiple car thefts, mm. but they, they could never pin him to these murders. Huh. Mm -hmm. well, that uh, that might explain though, if he was locked away and if he actually was a murderer, maybe that, that could explain why they stopped. Yeah, well, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there's some details that we're going to get into because there's some there's some follow there's some aftermath. But yeah. let's, let's keep so, walking through some of these people. Well, I mean, that's one of the ones that's like really compelling, right? Mm -hmm. And this one I think is really compelling too. And on November fifth, nineteen forty eight, so a couple years after these yep. murders, an eighteen year old freshman he called him himself Doobie Tennyson uh, from Arkansas University, found dead at home in Arkansas. He'd killed himself with uh, cyanide of mercury, uh, and there was a suicide note, and it read, The opening of my box will be found in the following few lines, and a tube of paper is found, rolls on color, and it is dry and sound. The head removes, the tail will turn, and the inside of the sheets you yearn. Two bees mean a lot when they are together. These clues should lead you to it. So he, his suicide note was a riddle. Mm -hmm. it, he was basically kind of toying with whoever. his police or whoever. Um, so, but obviously police were notified of this. And um, so they found another note inside of a fountain pen, and there was poison on the cap, and there were clues that like led them on this goose chase to a lockbox that had a combination lock on it and since they weren't really in the mood for games they decided to just blow the lock off the box yeah, instead of trying to thing open. Yeah, yeah they just pried it open instead of trying to like figure out the combination and there was a note in there so inside that box among other things they found this final farewell note that was not a riddle um, in which he thanked the people who were bringing him up he professed his love to a 12-year-old girl, and he also confessed to some of the murders. He says, why did I take my own life? Well, when you commit two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Brooker and Paul Martin in the city park that night, and then killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it, I guess, when my mother was either out or asleep, and no, no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. 
And then he goes on to, you know, list things that he wants for people well, to and, be and given. The weird thing about him is, I don't know if you saw this in the, some of the research that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he hand wrote these letters out before he typed them up. Yeah. And then they found other notes from him that were drafts and then mm. follow-up version that's something along the lines of, please disregard the previous notes that I wrote. Yeah. Which is just strange. Yeah, he was a weird guy. I mean, you know, you don't... I can't totally figure out what is going on. I've clearly a very troubled mind beyond just the suicidal tendencies. The fact that, you know, you would kill yourself with this riddle note that leads people on a goose chase is kind of like, at least in movies, indicative of a kind of a psychopathic character. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he was in love with 12-year-old girls... There's something There's something not, not right. totally there. So yeah. I don't really know what to make of that. You know, he doesn't confess to all of the murders or yeah, all of the only attacks. only a couple of them. Only yeah. some of them. Uh, and he may have been capable of it. I, so I don't know. Um, well, and, and the hard part is I remember uh, the research that talked about his uh, his... Other notes that he had written mm-hmm. was the fact that his friends who, because he was from that area, who who then, you know, heard about his suicide said, oh, yeah, no, there's no way that he could have done that murder because he was with us that night. Uh-huh. Now, yeah. is it a, uh, someone coming forward saying, yeah, I'm sorry, he was troubled and he really didn't do it or, yeah, he, pa- he took his own life. Let's go ahead and cover for him yeah. and, and protect him for time on or I, I, again. Possible. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's also possible that he confessed in a suicide note because he was protecting somebody else who he knew committed the murders. It was yeah. the twelve year old. Yeah. It was yeah, the twelve year old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could have been the twelve year old. Yeah, Chup- I mean, who knows? Chupacabra. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chupacabra. Yeah, I like that. All right, so let's see. Uh, there was another another murder uh, in on May seventh. Uh, this is right after the Starks. The Starks were murdered. Virgil Starks was murdered. So, and, you know, not necessarily related, but a body was found on the Kansas City Southern Railway tracks about 16 miles north of Texarkana. Um, he was lying face down beside the track with his head to the north. His left arm was severed at the elbow and his leg was severed at the hip because they were across the tracks. A freight train had passed about 5.30 a.m. and chopped him off. So oh. I was taken to a funeral home. Yeah, that sounds unpleasant. Coroner's verdict stated death at the hands of persons unknown and that he was dead before being placed on the railroad tracks. Okay. So we've got a potential sixth victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So you kill him and then you toss him in the tracks just for the fun of it. But, uh, but the, the, the county sheriff there believed that the man had died because he fell under the wheels of a passing freight train. Coroner examined the body a second time and found further evidence of murder. They explained we found a deep cut over the man's temple, two inches wide and one and a half inches long, uh, which would probably be enough to cause death. Uh, see, they also found cuts about his hands and wrists, which indicate that he those are defensive wounds. Somebody's coming at you with a knife. You usually try to block the knife with your arms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah. So he was defending himself from somebody with a knife. So And so apparently he was either very deeply wounded to the point where he couldn't defend himself and then thrown under the train, thrown under the train or he was killed and then his body thrown on the tracks. But the coroner believed that he was dead for a full two hours before being put on the tracks and that there wasn't enough blood around the wounds, which caused his death. 
In other words, his, in other words, the wounds that caused his death bled out somewhere yeah. else, and he yeah. was taken to the tracks. Yeah. So that yet another reason. Uh, there was blood found in the street near the crime scene, which supports that theory. Uh, the sheriff still believes that it was accidental, and the man was probably trying to jump the train and just fell onto the wheels. But the coroner, the coroner believed differently. So the man was finally identified, Earl Cliff McSpadden, from a Social Security card that he had on him. His his brother contacted the contacted the funeral home after hearing about his death on the radio, and he reported that his brother was a transient oil storage tank builder, which is interesting thing to be transient over. He's like so he's basically travel. He was basically a guy on the road working. Yeah, guy yeah. kind of on the road. Down to yeah. So so anyway, I uh, it it appears that that was completely unrelated. Although you never know. I mean, I didn't. There's no 32 caliber bullet holes in the guy. So no, would, but yeah. you know, there there are other there are other deaths at the time that seem unrelated, but could be. Uh, there were two women before. I think it was just before or just after the Stark murder. Uh, a woman was found dead in the street, shot by a 32, and then another woman was found dead with a 32 at her feet mm-hmm. and they they don't fit the profile except that they're at the same time in the same town with the same caliber of weapon. Yeah, it's weird that but, they aren't classed with these. But you know, I mean, uh, and, and it's possible. But again, back in those days, thirty-two caliber was very popular and, and very that's, common. That's yeah. the hard part. Is yeah. uh, you know, okay, well, yeah, a lot of people had that gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, we don't know, and and nobody was ever charged with the murders of these two women. So we don't know. You know, are they? The seventh and eighth victims, or are they just unrelated? Yeah. Yeah. So there are a couple things that come up in this that are kind of interesting. One of which is years after the murders, they were about to demolish a school in Texarkana. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going through and clearing everything out, and they were going through the attic, and a pile of bloodstained clothing was found in the attic mm-hmm. of this elementary school that they were about to demolish. Which is a pretty kind of creepy thing. Now, I, th- I thought I saw something that it turned out that was actually just paint-stained clothing. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I, don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. I, I, I remember thing, that bit of evidence, but... Mm-hmm. The thing, you know, that's really interesting is that, and I only saw this one place, but again, I want to bring it up, is that... A lot. It seems to be that most of the files and evidence that um, Texarkana and Texas law enforcement agencies should have on this case are gone, and maybe that's just age. But it isn't. It is open murder investigations. Mm-hmm. It's never been and solved. The files are just. Disappeared. But it seems the files have just kind of disappeared. No, well, let's see. Now that's not unusual. The government and loses there was stuff a, all the time. They do, <laughs> and there was a rumor going around. The suspected phantom killer was rumored to be from a, quote, well-to-do Texarkana family. So they knew who he was, but they weren't but they couldn't. pursuing him they because couldn't his pursue. family had so much influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a... That seems unlikely. Well, but you know, you that that's the stuff. This whole thing is, uh, as the bad movie that was made, stuff of movies. Yeah, and totally. we can't go after the guy that we know who did it because his family will bury the whole thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that... Well, maybe yeah. they did I mean, bury the whole thing. If we go through the Hollywood venue, that, that theory right there... Kind of makes sense. But, I'm not saying it, it's 
but sound, in, but uh, in Texarkana, are there any actual well-to-do families? Well, all well, they're due for Texas. Oh, Texarkana. okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is cars. the '40s. Yeah. People, you know, were were rich that didn't seem to be rich because people yeah. were making fortunes all over the place. Yeah, and you yeah. know, the other really interesting connection that you see all over the internet is a connection to the Zodiac murders. Yeah. Which I kind of like. There's some interesting connections. And, you know, it's like 20 years later. It's in 68 and 69 as the Zodiac murders, right? So I guess when we're talking about the car thief, he went away for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. right? And then came back out. And he seemed to be a really viable suspect. So the fact that murders of this type disappeared for 20-ish years and then Well, but the back. problem the problem with with Yol is that he was still in jail when the Zodiac happened. Oh, he was. And here's the other thing is that what uh, what basically put the nail in the coffin for him being the killer mm-hmm. was that in South Florida, I believe it was, there was at least one or if not two double murders in the late 60s that took place with a 38 on Lover's Lane. So a 38 they, or a 32? Or 32, excuse me. Yeah. Correct. So they talk about the similarities with the Zodiac crimes. And I think it's interesting, you know, the time periods kind of fit. If you take the Texarkana murders and then you take the Florida murders, you know, we were talking about if it had maybe been a teen in Texarkana who shipped off to the war for a couple of years, he was getting his murder fix in there, came back, went to Florida because it's a nice place to be for a little while. And then and commits a few murders. And then, and, you know, no. commit, well, because, you know, the drive is there, right? Yeah, but if, you're, if, if it's a psychotic drive, it doesn't go away. It, doesn't go it just away. gets sated. Yeah. Mm. So in the Zodiac crimes, as well as our crimes, right, the suspect wore a hood. The suspect used a flashlight to blind victims in cars. The suspect used different types of handguns. They mostly, the attacks were done on lovers' lanes and the victims were young. Mm-hmm. They're both kind of rough and tumble areas with blue collar air, blue collar families and lots and of military presence. The suspects all change, both changed MOs later in their sprees. Mm-hmm. They were both labeled phantom ish. Oh, okay, wait, wait. The Phantom. Now, where did the Phantom part come in on the Zodiac? The Zodiac, uh, suspected Zodiac letter that was sent to Marco Spinelli in um, 1974 referred to himself as the Red Phantom. Oh, I didn't know that. So, you know, and it's obviously a loose connection, but it's still a little bit of a connection. Yeah, these are all kind of loose. They're all kind of loose, yeah. Stolen cars reported before every murder. Um, and the Zodiac murderer acquired multiple vehicles. He had lots of different cars that he drove around all the time. Okay. So there's lots of car, stolen car situations around. The Zodiac killer was considered to be from Texas, the Texas area, because he used a lot of kind of Southern phrases, uh, like fiddle and fart around. Was that in one of the letters that he wrote? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. The Zodiac um, wrote, and, and I'm he not wrote very a lot familiar of with the Zodiac, yeah. but he wrote a lot of letters. Yeah. He shot female victims through the jaw and tongue. Just like Mrs. Um, Mrs. Stark. Mrs. Stark. Yeah, yeah. So there's some, I mean, you know, they're loose uh, connections. Of, but I guess when we're talking about serial killers. Well, some of these, some of these connections are, are kind, really of, kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like 
This is the last one. Suspect may have frequented restaurants. Another suspected Zodiac activity. Well, yeah. duh. Well, yeah, we, we all may have <laughs> we all, gone to the same place. Yeah, I, guess we're all, the I guess we're all killers, yeah. yeah. That's why you're always yeah. into these weird stories. It is. Yeah. It totally is. No, so I think that's really interesting. You know, you think about a serial killer's M.O., evolving a little bit mm-hmm. you know especially over a 20 30 year period you know you start out exploring and that may even explain why the the rapes and the like really horrific sexual assaults that happened earlier or the inability to actually kill his victims the first couple of times these kind of people who do these things they tend to warm up and ex- as you yeah. said explore so there may have been and, assaults that didn't get reported because because he just walked up to somebody with a gun and threatened him and then clocked him in the head. Walk. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I'm you making this up. Yeah, no, they, they the do tend to escalate they, as they, time goes on. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, yeah, Jim. They, yeah. they escalate and they build. And then, as you said, they, they find their MO and yeah. run. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that that could go. But I, I just – this is the thing that drives me crazy about this story is there's no – theory slash suspect that I could put my money against. No. That's the thing that drives me nuts about this. Yeah. One. Well, you know, it happened a long time ago, so obviously, you know, you could come up with a good theory of how, why, and whatever. And I think there's there's some reasonable ones out there. Mm-hmm. But you know, most of the people involved are long dead. Yeah, they're long yeah. gone. So yeah. it's yeah, yeah. well, and a lot of them went on record and and were mm-hmm. in books and stories. But I, would, I just I don't know on this one. Yeah, I don't know either. I think that I think a, a strong possibility is that. Of the of the eight victims, I think probably there was only maybe one that this guy wanted to kill, and the rest were just to basically you know put up a, a little cloud of BS around the whole thing. Uh, Let me read that uh, to, 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 to basically cover his tracks. To cover his yeah. tracks. Cover okay. his tracks. Okay, you know, if, if I'm known to have a strong motive to murder you, then if I'm going to murder you, I'm going to precede it with a crime, and I'm going to have after that I'm going to murder a couple more people, people that I have no connection to whatsoever. And that would be one way. That that'd be one way to cover that thing. Up. It would. So if I were if I were investigating this, and again, I you know I wouldn't confine my investigation just to this. But if I were back at the time investigating this, I would look into Mr. Richard Griffin, twenty nine, because he was the guy. The second attack, the first you know the first two people he didn't kill, he didn't murder them because mm-hmm. he didn't really need to, and he might have actually wanted to leave them alive for a reason. I'm not sure why, but you know it might it might have very might very well have been that you know he wanted. He wanted them. Maybe he wore maybe he wore um, high heeled shoes or lifts or something like that to make himself appear to be taller than he was. Or maybe he put on, you know, maybe he did things to sort of change his appearance, his demeanor, his voice, and everything. And that would be reported to the police. And then when they're looking for a suspect, he would be, as it happens, you know, shorter, lighter, by shorter, yeah. lighter skinned, whatever, yeah. you know, lighter voiced, deeper voiced, whatever. So, you know, maybe that's why he left him alive, or maybe he just left him alive because it really wasn't necessary to kill him. Mm-hmm. But the second people, let's say let's say his, his grievance was against Richard Griffin, 29, and his girlfriend, Polly Ann Moore, 17. Polly Ann Moore probably wasn't old enough to really make any serious enemies. Probably. You know, and I'm guessing this killer was probably in his 20s, maybe, you know, even 30s. So I'm guessing if I were the police, I would be looking for a connection to Richard Griffin because after he kills these two, then he kills uh, Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. But again, you know, once you once you killed once you killed your intended target, you've got to kill at least a couple more people to cover up your to, to cover up the trail 
leading to your to your motive for mm-hmm. killing Richard Griffin. And then at, after that, you might decide, well, I might I might have to kill just a couple more people, or maybe somebody else just decided to step in because the, the circumstances were so much different for the Starks than they were for the others. For well, basically for the other two. Well, and the Starks could have been a copycat. Exactly. Somebody exactly. who's like, well, I'm going to jump on the coattails of this and you know yeah. use it to my advantage. Well, exactly. So you got a grievance against one or the other or both of them. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go commit a little murder, and they'll, they'll just assume it's this other guy. And so yeah, and so that that's always a possibility because it's so much different. So, Joe, yeah, uh, help me uh, in the future remember not to upset you because that was scarily uh, accurate yeah. and, and mm. really well thought out. And oh, I, thanks. I'm, I'm a little oh. disturbed me at this too, point. Actually. Yeah, a little frightening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. that you just you just wailed that out. Are, are, yeah. Did you live in Texarkana? No, I never lived there. Okay. No, no I never knew like, Richard L. Griffith. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a little before my time. All right. Yeah. You, do you have any, any other theories or thoughts? I don't. You know, that that's the thing is this is such a weird story. I don't like it. It's mm. weird. It's creepy. It's, you know, there are definitely people that you can kind of think, okay, on the one hand, it could be this person, but there's all this evidence against that actually being this person. And uh, I just don't know. It's weird. There's that was a lot of deaths in a pretty small place, you mm-hmm. know. In a small amount of time. In a really small amount of time, which... You know, I guess leads me to believe that it, it must have been someone in the community. Yeah. I think, I deeply think it must have been somebody who lived there. And I feel like it must have been someone young ish, mm-hmm. you know, someone in their, you know, 19, 20 year old phase, especially because of the youth of the, the victims. The targets. You know, it, it does kind of seem like the sort of thing that like a kid, the kid who gets bullied in school mm-hmm. finally breaks down and like murders his worst offenders. Or that's, that's, you know, and I don't think, I don't think that it was that because there's, there's like so much more to it, but I, you know, because I also think that that would have been really easy to spot, right? That weird kid. They obviously would have called that weird kid in as questioning. It would have been a really strong kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, yeah, I think if you, you know, and I, that's, that's a good possibility. But if you're murdering, like, like several people from your high school whose guts you hate, then, you know, that's probably going to be pointing a, sort of a finger back at you. Well, yeah, and, I guess that's why, you know, I kind of think the doobie confessions, the suicide confession makes some sense, although it's not to all of them, just some of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know what's going on. There. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, yeah one, one of the things about it too is like one of the problems I have with that is like the the, the, the disparity in ages between the people who are who are really young. So Paul Ann Moore was seventeen, Betty Jo Booker was fifteen. And then Paul Martin was 16, so they were from different classes in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and Paul Martin, by the way, at that time was not living in Texarkana. He was he was he'd been he'd moved away and was just back for a visit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So whoever this person is, you know, and again, it could be just like what I was talking about. But they were they were somebody of a high school age. They wanted to kill one of these people. And just yeah. had needed to cover their cover their tracks yeah, by killing a bunch of other people. That's mean, another possibility. There's a reason it's unsolved. Yeah, yeah, there is unfortunately. But but I would I would really love to talk. You know, if I could go back in time and talk to the investigators and just ask them if they considered that possibility. Well, yeah. you know, I do believe that uh, the case files are available. 
Really? I yeah, thought they were lost. Freedom of information in the age of the case, you can get a hold of them. And I, if they I, exist. Well, some some FBI reports do exist, and I, I attempt, I found them on some locations. Unfortunately, couldn't read them because they were mm-hmm. low-res scans of mm-hmm. old typewritten papers. Yeah, They're plus very the difficult to read. Plus the government was shut down. And, well, and plus there was all kinds of blackout areas. A lot of redacted stuff. It was stuff. really hard. And it, yeah. unfortunately, it just was one of those things that had I had, you know, hours and hours and hours Maybe more years. available to me, I could have gone through it. But it, it just, it was so much detail. It oh. was just hard to sift. Yeah. This is why people do this for a living. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, no, I mean, I, I I would never want to go through all that stuff because no. there's got to be like 100,000 pages of notes from this case when you yeah, think about all are. the, yeah. There are. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any thoughts or theories or, on this. Or, hey, by the way, if you are the killer, hey, yeah, give us a call. Yeah, and you want to let us know what those are, you can go ahead and just send us an email. Uh, the email address that we always use is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners, and we enjoy that a lot. You can always go ahead and find some of our links for this story on our website. That website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. And, of course, if you probably are listening to us on iTunes, but if not, you can always listen to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or directly off of our website. Uh, and, again, we love to hear from our uh, our fans who are talking to us on the page. We get those. We love to go back and forth. So please get a hold of us if you've got thoughts. Uh, that having been said happy halloween everybody i uh, hope you enjoyed a creepy story for a creepy day yeah i hope we scared the crap out of you <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you next week bye everybody i don't want to drive home now alone yeah i'll give you a ride no second thought no <laughs> <laughs>